Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And joining the show this week, an old friend, the founder of Multiversity Comics, co-host of Marveling at the Movies, about to launch their third season in just a few weeks. It's Matthew Malikoff. Hi, Matt. Hey. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show. For long-time listener, first-time guest host, so... <laughs> Very, very excited to be here today to talk about all my favorite Marvel books. <laughs> uh, Matt just recently wrapped up Marvel at the Movies Season 2, where uh, titled martha at the Movies, one of the funniest things I heard in 2018, um, <laughs> where he forced a friend of his, and I use friend loosely because who would be friends with a monster who would do this to him, he made a friend watch all of the uh, DC Extended Universe films. And uh, yeah, for our listeners... What was Matt's reaction to uh, to the DC Extended Universe? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a great, great question. And I feel like Matt really got into the character this season of someone who was just so miserably unhappy to spend time with, with me and watch <laughs> films. Um, whereas I think in the, the first season, his character was more about getting into these these ideas and superheroes and comics and shared universes and infinity stones and all this stuff and i think he was we were really happy with the outcome uh season two is all about loss and being miserable <laughs> and uh just trying to figure out like what the fuck is a mother box the big one um and why should i care about this weird wolf man um also he got really mad about suicide squad which is arguably our best episode ever so if you, if you only listen to one dc related episode of the podcast it should be the Suicide Squad one in which I try and convince uh, Matt and our other co-host, Alexis, that it's not as bad as they say it is. It's pretty and I bad. I have a lot of fun. It's pretty bad, man. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I, it's a garbage movie. I still don't think that Vince has seen Suicide Squad. <clears throat> I've not. No, I haven't. You, you didn't make me watch it for the show, and therefore... Oh, we will. Oh, we will. <laughs> Next Christmas, Let, right? Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you... If you once you get past it's it's like uh, you ever you ever go running and you hit the runner's wall. And oh, then like, absolutely. Yeah. Then you're like you're in the zone. Right. Uh-huh. So there's like a two hour movie and you'll probably get past the wall once the credits start. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, there's after credits uh, uh, little bits in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the credits are fun. They're super okay. animated. Yeah. Uh, you get an, a nice nod to executive producer Steve Nuchin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best part of Suicide Squad, like, unquestionably, is, let's call it three quarters of the way through the movie. When And I have only seen the movie once in the theater, so I'm going to get this line totally wrong. But El Diablo yells something like, I didn't have a family. You guys are my family. Let's do this. Like this, some, <laughs> some horribly ham-fisted line about family mattering in a world where they have brain bombs. That just sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's ba- that movie is basically about... See, I, I, I don't know if you get it, but the Suicide Squad become a family. Yeah. Whereas uh-huh. before, they're all alone. It's like the metaphor... That's driving the plot. It's basically how the Fast and the Furious movies are all a family, also. But this is, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I'll also say my favorite gag for our podcast is um, 
Uh, Matt gets particularly upset about how often Will Smith's character Deadshot references that he loves his daughter. Uh, so I took I took the audio of a, a particular scene where Matt gets very uh, emotional about this, and I made a trap remix of it to go over the credits of the episode. Uh, Matt, if you email that to me, I can use that as the end credits for this episode too. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and find it. I think I still have it. I probably please it's gonna drop somewhere. Yeah, please do. Please get that to me. Sure. So we can make this happen. Anyway, we are pulling Matt out of his cinematic comfort zone and into the DC3 cast this week. So um, let's start by talking about the Batman Who Laughs, the Grim Knight number one, the spinoff that all of us were eagerly anticipating, of course, written by the seemingly attached to the hip duo of Scott Snyder and James Town the fourth, illustrated by the great Eduardo Riso. Um, Matt, you're our guest. What did you think of this issue? You know, for me, I think it's really cool to finally see a a vigilante-type character pick up guns and go against criminals. I don't think I've ever seen that before, and I feel like that was really exciting for me as a reader um, to kind of get get that version of a, like, an I guess it would be maybe like a hero, but like an anti- an anti version of a hero, yeah. uh, just someone who can really go out and like like punish bad guys. That's that's what I've been looking for, and I don't think I've ever gotten that. Well, uh, that, that must be especially poignant for you because you are an NRA member, gun enthusiast. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it just. Oh, I've got all the coins, uh, <laughs> the, all the collectible coins that you get when you you shoot the gun really well. Yeah, they give you those coins. <laughs> I've got like. 20 of them that's wow. how good of a shoot i am wow. do you have the seal for marksmanship yeah yeah i've got i've got the seal uh it's like a nice little little plushed guy that sits by my bedside um i got well for that one I particularly i think i got that one at army but yeah army. <laughs> uh, uh no for real I, I i i did actually uh i think i enjoyed the art a little bit more than the the story, I think, uh, Edward Eduardo Riso. You said that's how you pronounce his name. Um, I believe I didn't, so. Right? I remember him from like a hundred bullets, and he's gotten a lot better. He did that book. Um, was a Vertigo book in like 2010, 2011, Spaceman with um, oh, yeah, uh, Azarello, right? That book was weird. Yeah, that book was weird. I really enjoyed that book though. He also did the uh, Flashpoint Batman mini. <laughs> Whoa. With uh, Azarello, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I there there are pages of this book that are absolutely gorgeous, that are just really, really beautiful and well composed, and all of that. So I, I think that artistically, this book is certainly quite good. And when you consider this as a um, sort of a you know, a bonus addition to what Jock is doing on the main book. I think it's it's hard to argue that the Batman Who Laughs oeuvre isn't isn't absolutely gorgeous, but this issue was just to me the definition of a story that nobody needed to know. Mm. Yes. I'm going to say I I think I liked this issue better than any of the other Batman Who Laughs issues so far. Is that because of the art or because of the story? 
Uh, it's mostly because of the art. Something, something, maybe, I don't know. I mean, the story was not anything. The story was not much, but it was goofy enough. I mean, it was like this. I, I liked the like weird homages to year one. And just like how over the top it was, I I just I came into this expecting to hate it, and I didn't hate it. So, so I guess it was that. Also, on page twenty seven in the PDF, don't you think Jim Gordon kind of looks like Hitler? <laughs> oh wow, that's the reason you liked it. Okay, yeah, whoa, no, that's a little no. weird, Zach. But oh gosh, okay, sorry. Segway <laughs> tangent. Um, don't you think that though? I was just uh, yeah, through this that's actually that's, that's not a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> he's offering he's offering gotham a final solution we understand oh no um i had nothing to do with any of this <laughs> i actually thought that page looks kind of uh ariel olivetti-esque which is not everyone a compliment. knows brian's favorite <laughs> yeah no you like who's the other one that's like um who is it that you like who looks like Ariel? If you're Eddie? talking about Ben Oliver, I will fucking I slap you next time I see you. <laughs> I am. That is, a, that is an unfair comparison, my friend. They're the same. They are not the same. Does the FBI fly around helicopters that have gigantic FBI letters on, on the bottom of them? <laughs> on, yeah. on The Simpsons, there is a FBI surveillance truck, Flowers by Irene. So <laughs> it's probably the same one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, Vince, what did you think of this issue? Yeah I, yeah, I didn't like it very much. Um, I thought it. I thought it looked nice at times. And then I thought, I thought some pages were clearly better than others. And I think, I think a lot of that has to do with composition. I think when the composition was clearly, um, like a lot more thoughtful or like, uh, uh, trying to hit a big moment, I I thought it was pulled off extremely well. I think some of the in-between stuff was not really anything to write home about. Um, but, but more than anything, I'm, I just, I'm not all that into uh, this this idea of retelling Bruce Wayne's origin with like slight slight tweaks to match whatever alternate version of the character we've got. I feel like we've seen that way too many times, and of course we haven't seen this exact version of it. But you know, as you see the bat approaching, of course you know he's going to shoot it because like oh this version of Bruce Wayne does use a gun, you know, and it's just like all these uh, slight little tweaks that you, you know exactly what direction they're going. And and I, I just feel like this idea of uh, showing Batman doing something that would be shocking to the to the reader if they know anything about the real Batman is kind of played out at this point. Um, I mean, especially it makes, because... so it makes the whole it makes the whole concept feel played out. It's like so. we had a whole event about that. I, yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say like we just had Dark Knight's Metal, like that long ago. Where there was was it six one shots where it was like the there was the Flash Batman. There was all those like, and it was it was all this exact same issue. Yeah, it was it's... just an origin story of that Batman. This is like a lost one of those. Yeah. This is, um, yeah. But to be fair, I think, and like the, your mileage will vary here, right? Like 
Batman getting his origin through the lens of Wonder Woman or Batman getting his origin through the lens of the Flash or, or Green Lantern, right? Like that's that's potential. That has a little bit more potential to be interesting because it's like, well, you know, how did he end up with this Green Lantern ring or something like there's millions of ways that that could happen beyond just like he showed up at Hal Jordan's door and punched him in the face and took the ring and said, <laughs> mine now, right? But with the this with the Grim Knight thing, it's literally just like cool instead of falling down and, and crying like a little jabroni he picked up the gun <laughs> and that's like that's the big thing so for what uh for what vince is saying it's like it's a paint by numbers thing off an obvious enough premise mm-hmm. that like it looks pretty uh it's you know it, it, it's I, I don't think i've ever seen eduardo riso paint before as opposed to just illustrate and like those painted sequences are real really well done but other, like other than that, like I, I, I guess I didn't mean a pun about paint by numbers, but I'm going <laughs> to lean into it. Sure. <laughs> uh, the one thing I, I did want to say too is I feel like this book is kind of treats the Grim Knight like it's this character we've been wondering about for a long time, and finally here's the origin of the Grim Knight. I barely remember this character from the Batman Who Laughs, and that book is still going on. Like, it's not like this is some huge character that we've been waiting with bated breath to find out the origin of, but I feel like it's being treated as if it is this momentous event. And I don't know if that's just because I'm so not moved by the Batman Who Laughs right now, or if that's sort of the overall take on the character. You know, do you guys... When you were reading that book, did you have any real concept that this was a character that wasn't easy enough to identify his motivations just by his name? I feel like the thing, like, from when, like, once he was announced, it was almost just like, I mean, there's clearly a big contingent of people out there who get very excited about, like, Punisher Batman. (laughs) And that's like, that's what he is. Sort of. Poochie Batman. Poochie Batman. <laughs> That's true. And every page he's not in, someone's asking, where's the Grim Knight? So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and I have a feeling that by the end of this, he will die on the way back. This <laughs> that, is planet, that, so. that is almost guaranteed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, I feel like there used to be an excitement when there was an Elseworlds Batman story because those were relatively rare. So when you got things like Gotham by Gaslight or what was the vampire Batman story called? Um, Red Dawn? No, that's a movie. That's, <laughs> that's close, Red. though, I think, maybe. Because one of them was, wasn't one of them Dawnbreaker? No, the, the, that, that was one of the uh, Dark, that's Dark the... Nights Rising things or whatever. I'm talking oh, like that, I, I, I'm saying I think that's maybe what you were thinking. Maybe of yeah, partially. yeah. But um, but what, what I'm saying is like every couple of years there'd be one of these Elseworlds Red Rain, Red Rain. Red thank Rain. you. Yes, mm-hmm. um, it'd be one of these sort of stories, and, and that was different. And a lot of times they would have an artist of Riso's caliber, you know, on that book, and so that that would make it interesting. It was like a, a deluxe one shot or a prestige format miniseries, but all of that didn't they didn't lean into that as often as they seem to be doing now. It seems like now every couple of months there's another Batman origin retelling and uh, it's just, it's got to stop, man. Mm, 
I don't know that I 100% agree with your hypothesis because I feel and look, you guys are the experts. I'm I'm the guest. If I'm wrong, literally all three of you in unison can tell me to go fuck myself here. But I feel like Batman more than any other character gets gets the uh, either like an alt universe version of Batman or some kind of like oh this is like our spin on his origin or like I'm literally looking at my shelf right now and I feel like at least 10 of these Batman trades I have are different spins on his origin or something core to to that opening arc whether it is like you know I've got like the Batman the man who laughs and like Batman year 100 uh, Gotham by Gaslights over there, Frank Miller's Batman. Obviously, that's like more definitive one. But even when we're not just doing like, oh, this Batman actually has three ears instead of two ears, you're still getting a lot of uh, a lot of hot takes on the guy. No, I agree, but I, I want that to stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, we were having a discussion in the Multiversity Slack the other day about. I guess it was, I guess it was inspired by Captain Marvel, but just sort of the idea of like origin stories in movies and why they're unnecessary most of the time. And I feel like at this point, there is almost nobody on Earth who doesn't know Batman's origin story. So you you can reference it without retelling it so often. And uh, even if you're doing a, an alt version of Batman, if you just like if you say what what the alternate approaches you can almost guess how the origin changes like if you said punisher batman to me the answer would be he shoots back when joe chill shoots his parents right it's just some of these things just practically write themselves so we just need to have a a stopping of of these retellings please please dc i get it we have to kill the batman (laughs) (sighs) all right anything else to say about this book yeah, I have a question. Sure. Um, for for you guys who are kind of more in more in the know about this, this thing, so like, uh, you've got you've got your Judge Death Batman mm-hmm. guy here, right? Like, what's the like what's the point of this mini series? <laughs> the Batman Who Laughs <laughs> mini series or the Grim Knight extension of that? Yeah, like like <laughs> like what what why are we doing? Why are we doing this? Okay. I know Snyder's got like a plan or something. Yes. Yes. Like, okay. So Snyder claims that the Batman who, because are you reading Justice League right now? No. Okay. So the Batman who laughs does kind of play into Justice League at the moment right now. And so he says that the Batman who laughs miniseries is going to set up a major part of, I guess, year two of his Justice League story. Mm. Um, the, 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 I think more cynical answer is that this is just an easy way for DC to print money. And, and Snyder has been excited about the Batman who laughs for some time now. I remember him talking to us on the show. Gosh, it was probably almost two years ago at this point before the Batman who laughs was even introduced on the page and him just going off about how it was like his favorite Batman thing he's ever done. Um, okay, and you know that is not my experience with the Batman Who Laughs, uh, but this this is also supposed to be like a weird pseudo sequel to Black Mirror. Yes. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
because uh, Jim Gordon's son shows up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay, so so the Batman who laughs is not necessarily like a sequel to Metal. Kind but of, it's a it, Justice it kind League of is. It, it's all of that. Like basically, Snyder's. So you know when when, when the New Fifty Two was happening, Snyder did Batman for the, that entire run. When Rebirth happened, he only did that, like, 11 or 12 issues or whatever it was of All-Star Batman and right. was sort of building something in the background, which he said was going to be this huge part of Rebirth. And that turned out to be metal. And so all of this, like, Justice League spins out of No Justice, which spun out of metal. And, you know, so all of this is part of, like, his, I guess, his Rebirth mega story. So, so it is. But he's also not writing all of Justice League. No, he and Tanya are, are doing a lot of that. Um, who also co-writes here, right? Um, yeah, we've we we have lots of thoughts on Tanya as a co-writer lately, which is just that he's uh, he gets and you can sort of see it in this issue too. Tanya is like admittedly very into secret histories and how everything fits together. So a lot mm-hmm. of his books tend to be just like word dumps of uh of you know 5000 year old secret DC histories or like in the case of this book retelling a story for the 400th time. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. That's actually uh why I didn't look past the first trade of Justice League stuff because mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Oh, like it's super fun and weird." I'm like, "Great." And then you get to that last issue that's like very out of sync with the rest of the bullshit that's going on in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Eh. Eh, all right. Sure. All right. I won't press press too much more on it. It's just kind of, it's all kind of spurious. It's all kind of confusing still. Uh, not from a like concept and execution, just more curious as to like why we're doing this. But I guess I'll, I'll wait and see the big reveal about why the Batman who laughs is the most important Batman who ever laughed. Yeah. I also think that this is, um, uh, how can I say this? I think that there are various factions within DC that are usually jostling for power. And I feel like the Scott Snyder faction has been less successful lately. And this is, I think his sort of, like the Snyder corner of the DC universe, this is where all the eggs are in this basket. You know, this is his, Mm. like his, um, his, his statement on the rebirth era. Whereas like, I think that, you know, love it or hate it. I think Tom King's Batman run is, could, could equally be, be considered one of the touchstones of, of the, sort of modern era as i would say maybe josh williamson's flash run which we're going to talk about in just a minute could also be sort of considered in that same uh ballpark or bendis's super stuff you know there isn't really like one and and gents correct me if i'm wrong here i feel like there's not one sort of thrust of the dc universe right now the way there was at the start of the new 52 or even at the start of rebirth would you guys agree with that Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like five thrusts. Yeah. Um, so I think that this this represents sort of the Snyder side of that, and I think that maybe to keep Snyder happy, he's able to do this stuff, which which feels maybe a bit disconnected from the overall DC universe right now. 
Um, although, okay. although it's hard to tell sort of what the f- tone of the overall DC universe is at the moment because of those aforementioned five or so different, you know, major arcs going on. I mean, I, I guess it just, uh, it's probably nice just to have some semblance of job security. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mentioned it a minute ago, so let's talk about The Flash, number 66, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Scott Collins. Um, this is the first uh, issue after The Price wrapped up last week or last month, whatever that was. Um, so, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of this uh, trickster origin story of sorts? Um, so, it was an origin story. Um, which I think, as we've expressed, we're all kind of man on. Um, but this was like very much even down to the the like title of the issue, which was like Rogue Profile Trickster, blah blah blah. And then the the Collins art, this felt like straight out of John's Flash Run. Um, and I thought, I mean, I thought it was a fun little one off. I think this is like some of the best Collins art I've ever seen. I think you say that every time Collins. Maybe I do. Something. I think he keeps getting better. I'm really <laughs> like I think he keeps getting better. I I think at this point he's, if not the one of the two or three definitive Flash artists of the last like 15 years. Yeah, I think the coloring here is what really makes it pop. Who is the colorist on this issue? Um. Uh, Luis Guerrero. He's he's uh, been doing the Flash for a while now. I think has he? Okay, well, it's very good. I like it a lot. I think it fits this book really well. Vince, what do you think? <clears throat> I thought this one was kind of a snooze. Um, the the art was nice. Collins is great. I I agree. Um, but I I I I don't know that I needed another origin for another rogue that has bad parents. And like, this is, a, this is straight out of villains month, you know? Wow. And, and the comic oh, doesn't, I mean, that's it is. A take. You're right. You're not wrong. No, you're yeah, not you're wrong, but, that, but, but, that, right. but that's a spicy meatball, my friend. That's a... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... it is the year of the villain. So. That is true. <laughs> but I just don't know what I get out of, I, like, I don't get anything out of these stories anymore. You know, like, oh, he had shitty parents and he turned out bad. And, like, literally all I get out of it is some art that looks nice, I guess. Which is, you know, I'm of the belief that that art is more important to comic booking than than the writing. But at some point, like, you got to give me something I haven't read a hundred times before. Um. As usual. Uh, I, I think you're looking in the wrong place, Vince. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, as usual. I'm reading manga. I, uh, <laughs> I, I fall somewhere in between you guys. I thought that this issue was, was okay. I um, I definitely can understand why Vince found, found it to be a snooze fest. But I think that there was... I think Williamson is really adept at telling a story we've heard before in a way that feels fresh. I think he's done that a few times now as part of this uh, Flash run. But I can't help but think that this is just a a stalling issue because we're just a few months away from 
the Flash year one starting, and it feels like it's not enough time to do a sort of a full-blown story arc before then. So, sure, why not give us a trickster issue? Um, Matt, what'd you think? Yeah. Um, So the sarcastic remark I'll make off the top is that I I think it was really brave of Williamson to start an issue of The Flash without the sentence, I'm Barry Allen and I'm the (laughs) fastest man alive. Um, That being said, I think I am going to go to camp with Zach this year or this issue um or this year you get you guys could do go do summer camp yeah. together yeah <sighs> i i have an agreement that like uh, you know the, the origin stories are, are played out but i do think that there's a lot of uh fun stuff that can be done and has historically been done with the rogues and i think this is josh williams and 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 I mean Scott Collins as well, but like doing their best impersonation of the the, the Johns Collins run, right? And I think uh, part of this is also like me coming off of like I didn't really like Flash Quest as an arc, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really care for the price either. So for me, in reading this, like I'll be honest with you guys no matter how much they hype it up, like whatever this big trickster story is, is like probably not going to be that big because it's the trickster. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is still like a nice palate cleanser coming off of a book that has historically been really, really good having two arcs that I just didn't care for. And here's like, here's like a little side story with great art. Um, they, they, he does some interesting things as well with uh, the writing and sort of, trying to trick you as a reader which is nice like it it goes very well to the character and the theme um so i think there's like a lot of the typical stuff that williamson does well at play here yeah um i was actually thinking the other day about how in the beginning of rebirth the flash was a place where a lot of weird shit was happening like for instance there was um there was that arc with the with the shade. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I do. Man, that's a throwback. And then there yeah. was and then there was that tease of Jay Garrick, like yep. uh, maybe six months or so into that run. I don't I don't think it was that much. It was probably just a few months into that run, and it felt like it was a place where DC was breaking a lot of new ground and or was bringing back a lot of old stuff. It was just it felt like it was a very. Um, integral part of sort of the rebirth story at that point and i i don't know if it's because of heroes in crisis fucking up the flash family a little bit or if it was because just um you know doomsday clock was going to bring back jay garrick and then that book has been so delayed or what happened but it feels like the flash has been sort of spinning its wheels a little bit uh over the last few arcs um and so this this feels like a little bit more of that, but like like Matt and Zach said, I think there's a lot of really enjoyable stuff within this issue, even if it's not quite the book that maybe we had hoped, and uh, you know, or, or maybe that the book was when it when it first started. Yeah, I mean, if you get if you kind of like think a little bit about some of the politics stuff that you guys were telling me about with uh the grim knight right and i don't follow this at all so i i might be wrong here but 
it feels like what what the last couple things have been is Williamson playing with other people's ideas, and that's why they aren't as good. So Flash Quest uh, is very much just like what Johns had planned, uh, like right before Flashpoint, right? Like he had talked about the Flash Core, he had talked about doing um, or, or the Speed Core or whatever it was called. Speed Force, right? What was that Speed book? Force? Yeah. Thank you. Um, he had talked Sterling about the other Gates, forces, I believe, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that was clearly just a John's idea that now that they've had the force wall stuff, it's like, cool, we'll do the stuff with these other forces. Um, the price is clearly just, like, wrapping up King's storyline with Gotham and, and Gotham Girl. Like, they're not Josh Williamson's stories. They're stories he's telling for other people, whereas at least with, like, the trickster thing, it seems like this is actually one of his ideas, and that's probably why... At least for my uh, for 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 my readership, I liked this one a little bit more because it's not just him trying to do imitations of other people. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Absolutely, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wrap it up, guys. <laughs> I'm done. I'm not. I'm not getting better than that one. <laughs> um. Just, I guess this is a good time to talk about this. How excited are you guys, or are you at all, for the Flash Year One arc that's launching in May? April? May? I think it's May. Uh, I'm excited. Anytime you slap Year One on something, it's... Uh, well, I'm not saying it's going to be good, but it's it's momentous. It means something. I'm not very excited. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> because of that reason, I think it... Uh, Ooh, reversal. This is a freaking freaky Friday over here. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Um, I just don't know how many cracks need to be filled and if they can be filled in interesting ways, but... I mean, I, I don't know. Zero Year was like my favorite arc of the Snyder Capullo run, so there you go. Maybe I'll like this. I think that uh, when we spoke to Williamson at New York Comic Con this past year, he gave us one of the more honest answers that a creator has given me in an interview in quite some time, where I asked like what he thought he's what he thought his like mark on Barry Allen will be when he's done writing them. And his answer was a personality, which was, you know, <laughs> a, a, a pretty, you know, fair but but bold, you know, thing to say. And I think that because he has given Barry a little bit more personality to work with than some other creators have, that maybe his his year one will be more interesting than, you know, even if Johns had done, done a Flash year one story or, you know, or... Maybe not a Mark Wade story because I think Mark Wade and the Flash are about as good as you get together. But um, you know, I, I think that that Williamson had... didn't Mark Wade do like a year one type thing for Wally? For Wally, he did, but not for okay. not for Barry. Right, right. Yeah, it's also kind of crazy that we that for all the characters that we've seen have that, if not called year one, that you know um, that essential young version of the character story that we haven't had that for the flash really. Mm -hmm. So Matt, how are you feeling about year one? Year one could 
you know, be the the star of a show called Arcs that I know nothing about. <laughs> They're basically doing it starting in May, the Flash Year One within the Flash. So he he basically says like when Batman Year One came out, it came out in the pages of Batman. It was not a side miniseries, and so. They're doing the same thing for the Flash. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get the concept. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm saying, like, it, it's it's not just a standalone book. It's just like you know, I, I don't even know if they've announced how long it is. Have they? I, I think it's. It was I think issues. it's very long. Is it only six? That's what I thought. If it's only six, I'm I'm more okay with it. I think. I more mean that like I stopped reading solicits and and whatnot, right? Like you know, when solicits come out, I look to see, okay, is there a new issue of the Flash this month? Yes, cool. Is Josh Williamson still writing it? Like yes, cool. But I haven't, I don't like read what the stories are about or anything. So for me, like year one has no hype. I get what it means from like a DC capacity, sure, um, but there's no there's no like extra excitement or or anything. Just because I, uh, I've done my best to just like actively start avoiding these things and just read comics as they they come out. Um, not from a like, hey, check out how cool I am perspective, but um, yeah. So like, the, there's no says the man who literally started our monthly column about solicitations. I yeah, like I get, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> just saying, I. You know, uh, oh, I know, Ryan. I know. So probably more than others, and definitely the listeners of your show, uh, like how far removed I, the creator of Multiversity Comics, am now from actual comics. <laughs> like, I like turned off my internet for like a full year, um, just like abandoned. Like, I don't, I don't read it. I like stopped reading ninety percent of the books I was reading. Um, and actually, it's one of the things that. Uh, it'll come up when we talk about Superman at some point. Um, just the amount that like I am still surprised in books because of how little I pay attention. I'm like, oh, look, this person is here. Where I'm sure if you are reading solicits, you probably saw them appear on like the cover four months ago or something like that. So sure. yeah, I just I just don't know anything about your one. Like I I like Williamson a lot as a writer. Um, so I I kind of trust that going back in time is not super arbitrary. Um, so fingers crossed. Yeah. We also have to like Williamson because I think he was the creator. So just for, for those that, that aren't long-time Multiversity Podcast listeners, Matt and I co-hosted a show with our friend Chad Bowers called The Hour Cosmic for a couple of years, and it was a comic book game show. And I think of all the creators we ever had on, Josh took it the most seriously. <laughs> like, yeah. Josh called me the next day and was like, were you guys fucking with me? And I was like, no, why? He goes, those questions were too easy. I thought you guys were fucking with me. <laughs> like, no, not at all. We thought they were hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> so my favorite, my favorite convention story is all about Josh Williamson. I've, I know I've told it before, but I can tell it again. Yeah, please tell it again. Yeah. So this was uh, Emerald City uh, a few years ago, or this was probably like five or six it, it, years ago. It was 2014. Okay. So right? it was, it was, I was there with you. Right? It was the year I went, I went with you. Yep. Okay. So uh, Brian and I were uh, hanging out at the bar and, and talking to people, and very, very, very inebriated uh, Josh Williamson comes over, and we're chatting it up, and he's having a great time. He's a super friendly, super, super nice guy. Um, and at one point, uh, Josh is clearly, clearly like, "Oh shit! Like, I think I lost my wallet or something. I got to go back to the bar," and he leaves. 
And I'm talking with Brian. I'm like, hey, Brian, there's this other party up the street for the celebration of the Rat Queens, I think was releasing. And they're yes. doing something at a bar. I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to you know check that out and hang out with those those folks. And it's about like a 10 minute walk or something. So I, you know, I, I walk off uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm heading over there and by myself and I show up at this um, bar. And who should I see literally the second that I walk in with Josh Williamson? And he's just like, oh, hey. And apparently when he uh, when he was like, I have to go back to the, the bar and get my wallet. He didn't mean like the bar that we were at. He met a completely separate bar. <laughs> so I just like grabbed him and like, you know, took like the world's worst selfie with him. <laughs> where he's, he's so clearly he like he can't even look at the camera um, and send it to Brian. And I'm, and I'm like, hey, look what I found. <laughs> I uh, I believe that photo is somewhere on Multiversity, by the way. Yeah, I believe that right when you left that bar with him is when Nick Patara made me arm wrestle him. Because that that was when Patara was really into arm wrestling. Do you remember that, Matt? Yeah, yeah. And he told me that that if <laughs> this might be the most vulgar thing I've ever said in the show, he said oh, if I had quote a cunt's hair worth of training, I could be a great arm wrestler. <laughs> And I still don't know what that means. So, yeah, comics are wild, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's take a break to wash that all out of our mouths, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute with more DC Three Cast. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess, and I'm Nick, and we are Make Mine Multiversity, a monthly podcast discussing all things Marvel Comics. Each month, we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases. We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan. The jaded longtime reader. And the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. If you want to know what books made me cry this month. What books made me almost cry this month. And what books I wish would make me feel something. Check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, the fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcast, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel. Multiversity. Multiversity. And we are back with our discussion of Superman number nine, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Race and Brendan Peterson. Um... We get the uh, the beginning of the comic, I think, the DC3 cast really wants, and then it transitions back into something else. Um, uh, this this House of L stuff, like the, um, the sort of daydream that he has, is Italian chef kiss emoji. Perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, down to like the Steph Brown Batgirl over in the corner, it looks like. Um, of that big group yes, show. indeed. Uh, but yeah, um, Vince, we'll start with you. What did you think of this uh, this issue? Um, I I liked it quite a bit because I like the I, I sort of like the, the 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 wavelength that Bendis is on with Superman. I like. I think he's I think he's nailing the characterization. I think it's it's funny. I, I like. I actually like the. Um, 
sort of balance between humor and seriousness. And the, I think the tone is is really right. I think the pacing again, like last time we last time we talked about how like remember how how we talked about how like this is called the Unity Saga or whatever and whatever's going on in the book right now seems to have almost nothing to do with that and all of a sudden at the end they end up uh he ends up in front of the crime syndicate which throws a wrench even further into that idea right and uh <laughs> and I think it's funny that half of this issue is just that and by the end it's still not over um Again, I'm not complaining about the actual content, more just commenting on commenting on how I, this is like classic Bendis uh, set up and, and, and sort of stretching it out. Um, but, but because everything that's happening is something that I like reading, I think it's working for me. So, um, yeah, I have no complaints. I think, and, I, and I think he gets the voices of the, the crime syndicate characters right, too. So... Um, really all around, uh, this was a winner for me and, you know, the Ivan Reyes is probably not my preferred Superman artist that Bendis has worked with lately, but this certainly looks not, I mean, it looks perfectly fine. I actually think the Peterson pages are better personally. Yeah. Yeah, I think Reyes' work in this one is a little weaker than some of the other issues. It's just a little like sketchier. Or, or less defined, I guess. Um, Vince, to your point, I think it's really funny that there are two books featuring John Kent right now, and both of them are telling stories that aren't happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> both yeah, of them are good, telling yeah. like flashback stories. And, uh, yeah. I, I think we said last time how this, this would have worked much better if it was being told in the present as opposed to being narrated by John in the Fortress of Solitude. And while that doesn't really affect the the pacing of the story too much, it is just a weird, it's kind of a weird way to tell this story. I I don't know if it, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily hurting the story to have it told that way, but I don't see why it's helping the story to have it told that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt, what'd you think of this? Uh, so I got turned on to Superman in in this particular run because everyone was saying kind of like, oh, you know, like where Superman, I think, uh, had been struggling in previous years was like a lack of like a true voice or, or anything fundamentally, whoever was writing it at the time wasn't like really fundamentally in line with Superman as a character. And I do agree that I think Bendis has done, um, a, a, a good job of that. I feel like action comics is still the better of the two books. Agreed. Because I think my main thing about, uh, I have two very specific comments about this and then, um, I'll start with like the, the overall, I still feel like this story is really just being dragged out to do like, Oh, like what if crime syndicate now, you know, mm-hmm. um, rather than there being anything particularly revolutionary or interesting or, you know, I don't think Bendis is saying anything particularly interesting about these characters other than like, hey, did you know that Ultraman is kind of a bitch? Like, <laughs> that's like the big thesis statement here. All right. Did, did not appreciate calling him Jersey City Superman, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Didn't love that. So what the what the heck is up with 
the fucking the way that uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the the use of a Jersey City like stereotypical accent just keeps getting worse over the point over the course of the issue. Like it's not <laughs> as bad in the beginning, but then there's that that scene in uh, in the book where he grabs he grabs Jonathan, and the line is literally like. But that's not the reason I have taken an interest in ya. The reason yeah. I don't toss ya into the sun. It's like, whoa! Like, what are we? Literally, what are we doing here right now? He, he, he sounds like Bobby Bacala by the end of this. <laughs> I'm like honestly not sure if I'm just like watching Johnny Dangerously or something. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up the greatest comedy of all time, Matt. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that after this now. <laughs> you... It's just like that, like really goofy accent it just like it doesn't it's like fun i'm not like mad at it it just like doesn't work um and then my other big complaint about this book uh and it's actually one of my biggest complaints about action comics too i may have texted you how annoyed i was about this brian i mean i think you did yeah the amount of times that lois lane calls superman baby yeah (laughs) is like nails on a chalkboard for me at this point babe <laughs> it's like did you guys see that movie hot yeah rod? i was gonna say it's a scene from hot yeah. rod yeah man i'm really mad at you for saying that now because i haven't noticed that but i feel like i'm gonna notice it now the ep- the uh, the episode the issue of action comics where superman realizes that lois is on earth <laughs> she calls him baby maybe every every page there's at least one baby on every page Oh boy, it's. I'm just, I'm just gonna trust you, but look, we all have people in our lives that are significant to us. I hundred percent call my wife Jessica because that's her name. I don't think I I ever call her baby, and I feel like not for nothing. <sighs> yeah, I just of, of every out of character thing, like fine, make make Ultraman Johnny dangerously. That's fine. That's funny. Lois Lane, uh, you know, this this amazing reporter, this incredible journalist, journalist reducing the most powerful man in the universe to baby every single page of one issue of Action Comics is just the most bizarre. Like what what fucking David Mamet movie did Brian Bendis rip that out of? I really want to know. First place in Daily Planet gets a uh, set of steak knives and. (laughs) Coffee's for Pulitzers. So only Lois gets coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't argue with those points. Zach, what did you think of this issue? Uh, I, I thought it was fine. I, I don't have much more to add um, to what you all have said. It It wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst. The opening scenes were good. Um, I'm excited to get to more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have to say, I think everybody was very worried. Every, everybody not being us, I think that sort of the, the comics internet was very worried about Bendis taking away John Kent and, uh, you know, essentially ruining what, what Pete Tomasi had established with him. And that just keeps being proven less and less correct with each passing week. I think he really gets John's character. Like I was really impressed. There's one line of dialogue in this week where um, 
he says to his parents, like, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but I was really proud of how I got out of that. And I feel like that's a perfectly raised by Clark Kent sentiment to make. Like, he w- he doesn't want to appear braggadocious in any way. He just wants to be humble. And that was a really nice little touch that Bendis has for um, for John. And like I said, I think that the, the, the Peterson pages in this book look really nice. And I think that it specifically works with the crime syndicate stuff. I think his his style nicely fits Earth 3. So, yeah. Um, I dug this issue, uh, you know, with still with some reservations about the way the story is being told. Uh, also, I love Lois wearing her, um, her like dead new 52 Lois Superwoman suit mm. in those early flash, those like early, uh, fantasy sequences, whatever. Sorry, I don't get this reference. Can you ex- explain that one to Did me? Did you read the Superwoman series? No. First of all, it, it, it's good. Uh, the, the first, like, six or eight issues are very, very good. But so when Rebirth started, the only characters that had, like... so it, Basically, Rebirth just kind of picked up where the New 52 left off, but it sort of reestablished some some important, like, legacy characters, whatever, except that there was a New 52 Superman that died at the end of the New 52, and there was a Rebirth Superman who was the original pre-Flashpoint Superman who showed up. So the entire <laughs> Superman... So Superman and Lois, there were two... There were, Here you go again. I know. There, there, there was, there was a, a New 52 Superman and Lois and a pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lois. New 52 Superman, Lois... So they went through Lois and I guess both versions, Lana Lang, it's so hard to fucking talk about this, but they both became a character called Superwoman, but then that Lois died in, right? Did she die? She died, right? In the first issue? Yeah. yeah. New, 50, New 52 Lois, yeah. Lois died in the first issue of Superwoman. But she, but so the Lois here is wearing the costume that Lois wore in that issue, essentially. It's total oh, horseshit to try to explain this, but yeah, um, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I feel like I understood that you were speaking English. Yeah. Um, to quote Quell, uh, to to quote Kel, I recognize some of those words. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Speaking though, like to get even more accurate, weren't, weren't that Superman and Lois and John? Weren't they from? They were pre-Flashpoint, but like, weren't they holding up in the fake? flashpoint universe and convergence wasn't that was a thing right nah i think they were in like the fake pre flashpoint universe there but i thought i thought i really thought that thomas wayne like delivered the baby or something did i make that up i thought he was in that miniseries (laughs) yeah that's right was he i think so oh man i'm not sure about that it it I remember that though. I don't know. Well, convergence the the whole aside from the convergence series itself, all of those miniseries were all like two worlds getting mashed up together, weren't they? That's what it was. So, You're right. So, that's so that's it, what it, it was. It, yeah. it could have been like the Flashpoint universe and the pre-Flashpoint universe mashed up together. I think that's right. So yes, is you're probably right. 
is the impression that I'm, I'm supposed to be getting here as someone that did not beat Convergence. Um, I think that was when I was on, let's call it just like a sabbatical from comics. Mm-hmm. Um, is the impression that I'm supposed to get here that they're just very embarrassed of what they have been doing? So, I mean, more or less, yes. Um, but Convergence, sort of the, the overall plot was that there are all these worlds that over the course of DC history had been um, shelved. I don't know what the word you want to use for it is. But that, like, Brainiac and this new character named Telos had collected... Oh, the greatest yeah, character. Had collected all of these worlds, like, bottle worlds, like Candor kind of. But they were all, like, bottle cities on this one planet. And so, like, there was a pre-Flashpoint planet. There was, a like, an Earth 2 of pre-Crisis planet. There was the Gotham by... So there was, sorry, there was the Red Rain planet. There was Earth M, which is the uh, Fawcett Comics Captain Marvel planet. And so there was all these miniseries of, like, you would take two of those worlds and mash them up together. Um, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't very good. Okay, so one, how are you not just describing the multiversity to me right now? And then two, this is also, like, the same bullshit of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes! Zach, like, like, yeah, is this not just Kingdom He's Hearts? He's not wrong. I, did, I didn't want to say anything earlier when he was making jokes about Brian and explaining comics because I feel like I bring up Kingdom Hearts too much, but that was where my brain was going. Um, um, okay, Matt, yeah. it's not the multiversity because the multiversity is these are like living worlds that are outside of the well, the stories that were being told, whereas this was like these were the remnants of dying worlds trapped on like, like all the, on the it's other also side like, it's like 52 yeah. versus like the, the pre-crisis multiverse almost. Yeah. Sort of. Yes. And like uh, in convergence, all the characters knew like, Hey, we're in this city and you can't go past this certain point. Cause there's a dome there that keeps us locked in here. So what? Each city was like domed and you couldn't leave the city. So there was... You need to read Convergence. It's great. <laughs> so it's really so like there's there's like literally every epi- every miniseries had one moment where like if only we could leave this damn walled city like it was. It was... <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we're all coming. Uh, closer together. I'm learning a lot from you guys tonight. Uh, this has really been educational for me. I don't know about you guys, but you won't retain a goddamn thing. <laughs> it's all going to go out one year. I'm going to go and I'm going to Wikipedia convergence for like five minutes tomorrow when I read my coffee or when drink you, my when coffee. You coffee. <laughs> Come on, do you read coffee grounds like you read tea leaves? Yeah, that's 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 actually my version of reading solicits. Yeah. <laughs> I just like a month ago got rid of all of the convergence comics. Oh, I feel like you did a wrong thing there. These sound incredible. No, I did a wrong thing by keeping them for two years or three years, however long it was. So wait, did you have like all of the science and everything? That was when DC was sending me was sending... Uh, every issue they were putting out every week. So yeah. Oh man, you should have sent them to the home of someone who would have appreciated them. 
who? Yeah, I'm right here. <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah. I do still have the the main series though, and remember it fondly. Do you have two copies of it? Of it? Uh, I do have two copies of uh, number zero, I think, because DC sent me one and I bought one. Oh, I, I, uh, I was setting you up for your patented joke there, Zach. I know you were. I know you were, but um, one is in better condition, so it is. It's not for kissing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's let's move on. Let's get to Wonder Twins number two. Written by Mark Russell, illustrated by Stephen Byrne, with a really, really fun um, variant cover by Ramon Villalobos. Um, so this is we've been having some guests on the show the last few weeks, and uh, whenever we have a guest on, we sort of we ask them what they're reading, and then we throw a surprise pick at them, something we want them to check out. And so this is our surprise pick for Matt this week. Um, Matt, you said you are a fan of Mark Russell's work, though, right? You enjoyed The Flintstones, perhaps it was? Yes. The Flintstones is one of the best, best comics uh, that has been come out in a while. I actually, in my in my office, where I'm broadcasting to you guys live from right now, I have a spinner rack, and The Flintstones is so good that the entire run is in is in my spinner rack. That's how much I love that book. I didn't realize it was a spinner rack. That's great. That's yeah, fun. it's technically it's like just a magazine rack, but that's still pretty fun. Like if you if you Google it, it would you'd be googling a magazine rack, not like a well, not, it doesn't say like Hey Kids Comics or any of those stuff, right, but yeah. it does spin. It is a rack, and I do put comics in it. Very cool. So Matt, uh, let's start with you. What did you think of uh, of Wonder Twins? Yeah, um, uh, I guess what the way I would summarize my thoughts on Wonder Twins is that this book is a ton of fun. It has it's a little bit even more, uh, it, or sorry, it's it, it's even less subtle than what the Flintstones often was, and it is probably one of the best comics that I've read. That is just like it's like perfectly for trade, and I don't know if you guys see that as a good thing or a bad thing per se like for a trade as in it's it's a mini series it'll be a great collection on the shelf that sort of thing or like the pacing of it is off because it was written with a trade in mind um it's it's the sort of book that like if you hadn't asked me to go and read it now i would have just continued to wait for it for trade Okay. Um, because I think, generally speaking, this is the kind of book that would just get lost in a long box and not like it's very fun. It is enjoyable. Do I think I would come back to this in the same way that I like keep evangelizing the Flintstones? Like probably not. Um, like the first issue, which is not what we're talking about this week, had some good jokes. And this one, I think that the prison reform jokes were definitely um, very funny, but as I also like try to spend more time with these issues. So I would have stuff to talk about with you guys. The jokes didn't land uh, as well the second time around, or even um, some of his not so subtle commentary around the prison industrial complex. So just like, all right, like I'm ready to kind of move on to like the next thing or the next issue or the next topic mm-hmm. um, versus I think in the past with like uh, with Flintstones, I think, rereading those books multiple times and understanding more of the universe and what he was really trying to do and say with those characters, 
gets better with every read. Or even uh, uh, Snagglepuss, which was a very slow read and very focused on what it was trying to satirize. Um, you know, I think that, that that book, which was also like a good like wait for trade thing, had a little bit more replay value. So I don't know, like it's early days, right? This is issue two of however many, six, five, I guess, five or probably. six, yeah. Five or six. Um, I think that the 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 uh, the B the B side villains, what were they called? The, like, the League of the, Annoyance. The League of Yeah. I thought that was a, that's a very good one. Um but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm putting Mark Russell up on too much of a of a pedestal of what I expect from him. But even the stuff with the Druncula was just like not as good as I really wanted it to be, or I didn't laugh as much as I wanted to laugh. So um, I would put this in the like the middle ground of okay. Okay, Zach, what you what you think? Um, I liked this a lot. I think I. I don't know if I liked this quite as much as the first issue, only because it didn't have the um, the the jokes in the first one were just so good. What was the not the thunder the thunderlust? Thunder that lust, what it was? Yes, yeah, thunder yeah nothing can top the thunderlust. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I do t- like when Russell tackles issues like this even if it's not so subtle like do you remember he did that story with um it was like the second amendment story with the like ghosts of the founding fathers do you remember that one in what book it was in a it was it was like in an anthology it might have been i don't remember you guys don't remember that that sounds familiar but it's not it definitely happened. No, no, no. It was a backup in one of the Hanna-Barbera books. Mm. Yes. Uh, was it Funky Phantom? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, like, things like that are things that I care about. So, even if it's, like, not super subtle, I, I like – I mean, I like that this exists. I like the things that he's saying. Um I, I laugh to keep from crying. Um, <laughs> I love you, Zach. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, I, I liked it. And, and I actually think, like, I think Matt's point about it being perfect for trade and that this this singular issue alone would get lost in a long box, that's very much true. And, like, once this is collected, it would make a really great um, kind of, like, evergreen trade to just, like, come back to and share um, but I do feel like it hits the single issue format like really perfectly. Like this is a great just standalone issue. Um, you could pick this up and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, and I also felt like the um, I, I I don't want to just keep keep calling him Count Druncula because that's not his name. Um, his name Baron Nightblood. Baron Nightblood. I feel like that show some respect. Well, that's why I was I didn't want to call him Dracula. I was showing respect. Um but anyway, I feel like that story was it started off as being a funny story and turned into a really tragic one. And what I think is so impressive about Russell's writing is that it didn't feel like there was this weird tonal shift that wasn't that you couldn't navigate. I I think that his stories always have enough humor and enough heart to them where you can make that a sad story and it doesn't 
it does, it's not so jarring, nor is it like uh, – his stories are so over the top that you they don't feel preachy. Like I think in, in other hands, a story like this about the prison industrial complex would feel preachy and maybe heavy-handed. But he takes the piss out of it so extremely that you might think it's not very subtle, but it's not – I can't imagine reading this and being like, get off your high horse, Mark Russell. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Because of just how, mm-hmm. how over the top and silly he is about it. Yeah, uh, I agree. I just think I've, I think we've seen him do this thing better. Sure. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, I, I also want to take a moment to shout out a DC three cast favorite in artist, Stephen Byrne, who is just doing such incredible work on this book. It's really expressive and fun and it it feels playful, but like I said, it, he also is able to nail some of the more serious and uh darker moments and uh Stephen Byrne is a treasure who should be doing more at DC. Vince, what do you think of this issue? Yeah, I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as the the first issue was such a banger. And I think, Zach, you, you talked about how this issue is a good standalone issue. And I think, I'm, I mean, I kind of agree in that you don't need the f- issue that came before it to enjoy it. But I do think that at the end, there's more of a hint at the end of this issue that it's going to bleed over into the next issue than there was at the end of last issue, which very much felt like putting a bow on sort of the thesis for what Wonder Twins is all in one issue, you know, whereas I feel like this one, this one invites you to read the next issue uh, for plot reasons, right? Um, so I think that there was a Do little bit... so? I think it kind of feels in, that in way. Which, in which, like, with the prison thing or just with Gleek? With the, well, not with Gleek. With, but with like with, Nightblood. With, with the fact that, the, yeah, and, and you know, for for them to end, end in that moment saying, what have we done? It feels like there's going to be further consequences for this, you know? You think so? I, I didn't read it that way, so oh, I think okay. that's interesting. You may you may be right. I, I, I just still kind of thought that that was the that was the end note on that. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that'll prove to be the case, but I think I prefer, I think I would prefer it if these were all just kind of, kind of more standalone issues like that, that debut was. Um, and yeah, that one just, that one just hits so hard and consistently with the jokes throughout and, and the circular, uh, callbacks and things like that within its own. It, the one thing that I really love about um, Mark Russell and how he approaches comedy is that he finds a way to do callbacks in comics, which is is tough to do in a, in the short term. Uh, writers do it all the time in the long term, but for him to come around and 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 nail jokes within the very same issue multiple times and have it not feel overdone but also be really funny is something that he's like uniquely skilled at and i think even in this issue where even though i didn't like the issue as much as the one that came before there were some great moments that they kept cycling back to like the stuff with gleek like uh you know zan is like barely listening and oh a monkey and then like 
And several pages later, that pays off a little bit. And then it's clearly going to pay off again in a future issue. And I just think it's funny how that stuff kind of happens in that cyclical fashion. And, and Russell's really good at that. Um, but, but yeah, this, this issue definitely wasn't the like comedy slice of life, good time banger that that first issue was definitely not. What I will say about this issue is that, uh, and this is something I, I, I guess I don't normally notice in a, uh, in a book like this, but I noticed it here is that Russell did a nice job of taking what are like undoubtedly silly superhero powers and actually showing them in a somewhat useful way. Like, like, like when, when Zan is, he like turns himself into a puddle to help, um, Baron Nightblood slip and then turns into mist and like uses that to avoid him. I feel like whenever you see the Wonder Twins, they're always just presented as these like totally useless characters that that, that have (laughs) no place in the DC universe. And not that I think that they need to be established as like Kung Fu experts or anything. I just think it was nice to to show him like that. He definitely thought about it a little bit and sort of figured out a way to make them work within the context of the DC universe in some small way. I appreciate that. I, I think Russell's a really thoughtful writer who does more with what he's given than almost anybody else in comics right now. Like, there's there's no reason for us to have expected a Flintstones comic to be that good. <laughs> you know. Anything else to add about Wonder Twins? No. It's really good. Um, maybe, probably, I mean, easily the best of the three have we only we've only gotten three of these books so far the uh the wonder, wonder comics? comics yeah we had dial yeah. h very soon um that'll be the fourth um as someone who has definitely read all all of the wonder comics i can say without a doubt this is the best one have you not read young justice yet no it's pretty fun you know, you keep you keep selling me on books that that you tell me are fun. It does seem to work out for you when you do that. <laughs> Works out for me or for you? And for both of okay. us together. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, but that 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 does seem to be the go to line of it's like, oh, uh, I don't really want to read another comic, and you're like, no, it's fun. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I'll, go, I'll go buy it right now. Well, it's, it's to me, like, <laughs> life is so fucking depressing at times. You want fun comics, right? You want stuff that isn't. That isn't Tom King's Batman. Sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Well, let's get to our last issue of the week. Uh, before we do that, we should do our lists, actually. Um, I realize, boys, we forgot to put Justice League Dark on a list. That's on the uh, Justice League Dark list. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that is that code for the okay list? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So, um this week, uh, we had a very contentious pre-show conversation about these lists. Uh, on the good list, we have the universally beloved cover. We had the Vince-approved Hawkman. Uh, <laughs> both, both Zach. You're really doing this. I am really doing this, yes, because yeah. you fucking throw me out of the bus all the time about that shit. So, um... not, not on the air. Oh, please. Ass. Yes, you do all the time. Whenever Titans comes up, you you say hey, that's my pet project or whatever the fuck you say. So, 
<laughs> the Vince approved uh, Hawkman, and then the Zach approved Red Hood Outlaw. I, I will say both of those books are are good, but not as good as the, as these guys think they are. Um, the OK list features Catwoman, Justice League Dark, Supergirl, and Titans. Uh, nothing on the bad list or the New Age of Heroes list this year, or the Vertigo list or the Jurgens list, but the Sandman Universe list does have House of Whispers. <laughs> yeah yeah i think next week might be a jurgens list week uh yeah. anyway let's talk about what a lot of lists there are we do <laughs> it used to be three and it keeps growing um, well i love that you know the unspoken thing about it is that it's really a bit that just keeps expanding it's like a I feel like it's like a Conan O'Brien bit that, you know... Yeah, we started off can... with the Walker, Texas Ranger lever. Now we have, yes. you know, ten, <laughs> Thank you. ten less funny ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Jurgens list is re- more funny. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that is more... That's the one, like, people... Like, you think it's getting less funny, and then we hit you with the Jurgens list. <laughs> and that's more funny, and not, now it's going to get less funny again. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about Wonder Woman 66, written by G. Willow Wilson, illustrated by Carrie Nord. Um, Matt, you're our guest. Take us out on this. What would you think of this issue? I uh, am on the scale of people that you know, where do I rate Wonder Woman fan wise? Um,. Probably near the top. You and my daughter are probably one and two. Yes, fuck yeah, amazing company. Yeah, um, it was great. So it, it's 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 with that being said, right? That I am one of the two biggest fans of Wonder Woman uh, that you know. That I just really wish this book was better. Like I like I I like G Willow Wilson a lot. Harry Nord can be fine. Nothing and like no major thoughts there, but I feel like this book with the different um, authors that have been hopping off and on since Ruckel left hasn't had a, a, a voice or, or hasn't had anything that I found really, really gripping or, or entertaining or even anything that like, if I, uh, the way I, I usually judge these things, it's like, okay, if I, if I am thinking about people who uh, have never read Wonder Woman and I really want to introduce them to the character, would I would I use this this arc or use use what I've seen of this story so far? And like the answer is no, because really nothing is happening. I think Wilson is going to play a long game here. I think that she's seeding a lot of ideas of like where are where is the majority of the pantheon, uh what happened, right? She's trying to build out a new supporting cast, but none of it has really particularly um like grabbed me. Uh and Wonder Woman has stopped being like it, like every week that it comes out, it was for a long time like it had to be like a like a top 5, like had to be one of the first 5 books I read. And now it's in the like, oh, like if I don't even read this on Wednesday, that's fine. If I don't read this on Thursday, yeah, that's okay too. And if oh, it's Friday, I'm gonna probably go do something else, right? Like I, I just like not into the this run so far. Um, and you're you're talking to someone that has literally, uh, you know, done everything I can to like hunt down as many Wonder Woman comics as as possible. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys have more context here for me. I know 
Wilson being uh, announced for the book was like a big deal. And maybe maybe there's something I'm missing. But my two cents on Wonder Woman so far is like I'm just not I'm just not that into it. I just can't believe I don't you, think you're missing anything. I just can't believe you didn't love James Robinson's stunning term with Jason. <laughs> it didn't it uh it was it i was probably liked that more than more than this. really <laughs> so oh my far. god uh i feel like like feel like robinson did more nonsense more more he, his comic was more fun than this this book has been um no i think the outside of rucka there was an issue about wonder woman visiting a prisoner like once every year yes that was probably the the only good only really good issue of Wonder Woman since Rucka left. That was a Steve Orlando issue, I believe. <laughs> was it? Oh, shit. Right? Oh, was... no, you got me. Yeah, it was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Oh, I think wow. it was the first one, maybe, actually. Yep. Brian uh, and I were talking the other day, and he was like, oh, yeah, like I, I would have expected you to be a Steve Orlando fan. And I was like, eh, every time I've noticed his name, I haven't been moved so this time I didn't notice his name, and there you go. That's, that's a trick. <laughs> you can't tell me it's a Steve Orlando book, and then I'll enjoy it. Oh, we were talking about Martian Manhunter. That's why yes. we were. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, yeah. I'm not anything from that book. I told him he's nuts. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, Zach, you, you were about to say something before I interrupted you. Oh, I, he, he asked if he was missing something, and I said he wasn't. Okay. Um, (laughs) um yeah i feel like this is a uh i i don't know what dc is doing with wonder woman right now i feel like rucka's run was really strong but rucka had said like from the very beginning he was gonna do i think it was a year right Mm -hmm. or maybe two years whatever it was and so dc had to know they were going to have to follow his run-up with something. And it seems like they forgot that he was leaving the book. And they were like, oh, shit, who can we get to do this quickly? Uh, uh, and then they kind of, you know, they got Robinson, who, you know, I, no one is a bigger... You J- forgot they, they had Shea Fontana. Yeah, they had Shea Fontana, who was, who was hyped and then didn't do all that memorable of a job. And then, you know, no one's a bigger James Robinson fan than I am, and that run was garbage. And then... Orlando came on, we, and I think we all agreed like there were ups and downs with Orlando's run. And but G. Willow Wilson seems, seems like the first person who was really planned out of okay, this person's going to do a nice long run. They're going to really follow up, you know, Rucka in terms of star power on the book. It's going to you know she's a really important name in comics right now, and I feel like the story does not match that hype. I feel like. This is still being written as if it's a James Robinson fill-in arc, even though oh. I, I'm not. I'm, oh. I'm not saying in terms of quality. I'm saying in terms of like the approach to the story. It doesn't feel like the start of a big, like cohesive unified story. It feels like these are little mini arcs that are done until something else starts. I don't think you're wrong, but I do like the supporting cast in this. Yeah, I, I think this is this is better than it was under Robinson, and I think that there's a lot of good stuff with the supporting cast, and that they're fun and weird and different. Um, but I still don't think that the main story is all that interesting or uh, engrossing. Vince, what say you? 
I, I, I really like it. I guess I'm the only one that like really likes it. Um, like I, I think G. Will Wilson has such a strong voice for Diana, but I'm, I'm not, not talking about just this issue because maybe that doesn't come through a lot in this issue, but I think throughout, you know, um, and I, I love these these uh, anthropomorphic side characters. Um, I think they're a lot of fun. That 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 issue that focused pretty much entirely on them uh, ending up in Washington D.C. That was the last issue, maybe. No, it was. I think it was a couple. Ago. Ago. It was a cu- it was a couple before. Yeah. Was that the one that I said felt like a fables issue? Yes. Yes. And yep. I, I still feel that, and that's the thing that I kind of like about this, is when it feels like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this... I, I can't think of anything specific. I can't think of, uh, you know, which writer it would have been. It may even have been uh, J. Michael Straczynski, or, or, like, or like even the first time that Rucka did Wonder Woman um, pre-Flashpoint. This feels very much a piece of that point in time, um, considering her like strong ties to to DC in this, and uh, and sort of these these strange characters invading this very uptight world. Um, that it, it's it's just it's harkening back to a, a, a time in Wonder Woman's history that. Um, is particularly memorable to me. And I think, I think tone wise, it's, it's striking that. And, and the, the ancillary characters are, are hitting the sweet spot for me. Um, I think you're right that like, there's no earth shattering arc here, but I don't always think that that has to be, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating the books right now in, in a, in a DC comics where uh, fucking uh, Dr. Manhattan is, is messing around. And, the world is ending like a billion times in the justice league books. I kind of like these books where the world's not necessarily ending and there's just uh, weird shit happening. And, um, I I guess I, maybe I misspoke there. I don't necessarily mean that it needs to be this like universe shattering arc. I just mean, I don't think there's like, like with, with so many of the great, runs of the last I mean just in, in comics history not even the last decade but you can like mm-hmm. you can give a one sentence description that sort of sums up the overarching theme of this of the arc sure you know and, yeah. and I feel like so far Wilson's run hasn't had that like very clear focused premise mm. yeah I, I guess not but I, I guess maybe, maybe that's kind of why I like it more uh, maybe I'm just the weirdo on this one. I mean, I will say I think there. I think Wilson needs more time. Sure. Uh, you know, I think the the last big thing that she's obviously been really known for writing is Miss Marvel, and that is that is a character that when you know that book started out, there's a lot less uh, stuff that she's beholden to. There's a lot less comparison there, right? Like. Here she is creating a character that's influenced by folks that we know, but is otherwise like she has kind of free reign to define that one. Um, whereas with Wonder Woman, uh, 
you know, I'm 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 sort of looking at my shelf right now and and thinking like, okay, you know, DC just released the omnibus of uh, Jimenez's run, which they've never that's never been fully collected before outside of its initial uh, release and then two trades, right? But you know, even talking about like going back in time and looking at these other runs and Rucka's run and you know Jimenez's before Rucka's, right? Like everything that I think those other character or other creators did have had such a very specific stamp on Wonder Woman, on her mythology, on her character, on the universe that she inhabits. That for someone with, I guess, like the star power of Wilson, maybe I am personally. Like I'm holding the bar higher here. I'm like I'm holding her to an unfair standard just because it's like, like in league with giants and these like Titanic and 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 and, and classic runs and in, in my opinion. And maybe that's maybe that's honestly one of the things that like can hurt this book is like if you think back to my original statements, like would I give this book to you know my friend at work who I want to show them that I you know this is a great character. Like I wouldn't use this right now. And maybe it's because I am over indexing on these other stories and maybe, you know, Vince is right. Like we just need to give this one more time, more time to grow. Yeah. I think you're definitely right about not also not being able to hand this to somebody and have it be a, a great example, a great first example of, or a basic example of what Wonder Woman is because there's so much uh, ancillary lore that she's trying to tell. Like she's, She's very much right now trying to tie in the um, the little story piece that Rucka left about uh, Themyscira being gone. And there's a lot of very uh, DC up its own ass stuff that she has to navigate here. And I, I think you're right. I think that I think that maybe does hamper the run overall. But I guess maybe maybe the blinders are on that for me because we're so steeped in that. Like we read almost every book post rebirth. And so because it's just, because it's just this environment that, that, <laughs> that us on the podcast here are just like steeped in, I probably don't notice it as much as I'm reading the book. And I just think, Oh, this is just part of a bigger tapestry. We already have kind of explored before, you know, but if, if you're, if you're, if you're isolating it as a wonder woman story, maybe it's not, Maybe it's not quite that, you know? So I, I think, yeah, there is truth to what you say. Um, May I ask a, a, sort of a big Wonder Woman question to the whole group here? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, podcast over. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yes, you may you may proceed now. Thank you for, but I thank, my joke. Thank you for permission. Um, <laughs> I think we can probably all agree that aside from the Rucka arc that launched Rebirth, the most successful Wonder Woman story of the last, you know, however many years from a critical and commercial standpoint was the Azarillo Chang new 52 Wonder Woman story. But that story also gets a lot of flack for being, Oh, some people hate it. Well, yeah. honestly, it gets a lot of flack for, for being sort of a, 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 an interesting story, but not really like a classic Diana story. So where do y'all fall on that, on that uh, run? Azarello and Chang's Wonder Woman is a book that I literally have given to someone and said, like, you know what? Uh, this might be a good place to to try it out and, and see if you like this character. Um, I think I I'm I'm personally a fan 
of it. Um, and I think that the, I, I believe the person I, I gave this book to also in, enjoyed it for what it's worth. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the things that people were giving it flack for in terms of like the things that changed or even some of the things that like Azarello wrote from a, I don't know what's like the right way. Like he, I guess he, he, he tried to say something like smart and edgy and he just like dropped, dropped the bomb on it. And, and there's a few changes to uh, Diana's origin that are also like, all right, like this was stupid, but overall I really liked, I really liked the run. I think Chang's work on that alone is something that should make that whole run super noteworthy. Um, even if you're not a big fan of Azarello's art, I think, uh, I think Vince said it earlier. It's like, did right. It's like the art matters so much more in comics and mm. Azarello's shittiest writing is elevated <laughs> like beyond belief by Chang's fantastic artwork. Zach. I mean, I think I've talked about how much I like that run before. Um, I actually, um, to my fault, never read the original Rucka run. Um, so I don't have that to compare to. I feel like that and then maybe like the Gail Simone run, which I've also not read all of. I've read like a small bit of it are like kind of the go to modern classic Wonder Woman runs. Um Vince can speak to that since he has read all of Wonder Woman. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love the Azarella Chang run. Um, it's probably like the best new 52 book. And, and, and yeah, I think a really good, like Matt said, like example of a Wonder Woman story that you can hand to somebody. See, the way I've kind of described it to some friends is that it's a great, it's a great Wonder Woman story that doesn't have a great Wonder Woman at the center of it. Like I don't think that the, that Diana from that comic necessarily resembles the Diana from other great Wonder Woman runs, but I think that everything mm-hmm. around her is so good that you can kind of look past that. Like I, uh, my, my, I don't know that I agree. My big critique of that run is that I think what sets Diana apart from so many other characters is her reluctance to be violent right away. And I feel like in that run, she's constantly running in with her sword drawn all the time. Yes and no. Um, I think that that arc has some really, uh, I don't think you're totally wrong in that, but I do think that that run has a lot where, uh, Diana doesn't, it, it, to her, it's about talking about like the importance of that strength and the impact of that, um, strength and about changing who you are into like a new and modern era. It's like the whole reason that they bring all the, all the men, onto uh, Themyscira mm-hmm. to like live with the Amazons. And she gives that whole, um, that whole speech of like, this is who, who, you know, we have been a violent people. These, this is who we have been, but here is who we need to be. Here's who we need to grow into be. Um, and there's, there's another line that she has at some point very early on where someone asks her like, okay, you know, after all that, all, after all that you've seen, like, why, why haven't you given up on, 
humanity and and she's like that's not something i'm capable of doing right like i I would never i would never give up hope uh so yeah like i you're not wrong that she does she is a little bit more violent in that than in other books but i don't think she loses that core component of of like hope and love being at the center of what drives her i guess it's just, it's less prominent to me than than in other diana stories that i that i appreciate yeah. Yeah, it's definitely more of like we're bringing this out so she can give a great speech right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that run also like deals with her becoming the god of war. So like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> Azarello could have been a little bit more nuanced and been like, OK, she's the god of war. But what is what what would that mean for someone who resorts to nonviolence most of the time? Right. Yeah, um, that, that would have been interesting. He didn't do that, but. Um, Instead, he wrote himself in as the old god of war, which was uh, I liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that a lot. Um, oh man, the the designs in that run were so good. Yeah, yeah. Like I literally, Azarello could have just written pages of people talking about duty, and it still would have been like one of the best looking books. And that was a book too that I feel like. When you go back and look at it, Chang didn't draw nearly as much as you think he did. He was being filled in so much, but they got really simpatico fill-ins for those issues. And so it it didn't kill... What was that artist's name? Sadzuko. Tony Akins. Tony Akins. And Goran Sadzuko. Goran Sadzuko. But, you know, like, so even though it was a book that that was not as consistently illustrated as you would like... They did such a good job of pairing uh, Azarella with with artists that could sort of do something in Chang's sort of wheelhouse. It it felt more. Uh, it felt like one of the most cohesive books of that era, for sure. I think that's where you got to give it up a lot for like folks like Matt Wilson, uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. the you know. I think we all know folks that are not the writer and the artist never get as much credit as they deserve. But I think Wilson's ability to give that book as consistent of a palette as he did is one of the things that helped really make it in the same way that I think other books that Matt Wilson is a part of, like have that wonderfully consistent visual component, even if it's a new uh, artist. Yeah. I I was actually talking about this recently with somebody about uh, BPRD stuff and how, the combination of Dave Stewart and Clem Robbins on colors and letters, respectively, really ties so many of those books. Now, uh, Stewart's doing less of those books, but like you know, five or six years ago, when he was doing all those books, the letters and the colors really stitched together some pretty disparate art styles and made it all feel cohesive. So, I agree that that you know Wilson did a great job with Wonder Woman in that regard, and uh, that's an underrated skill in comics. Mm. and to to gush on the book a little bit more um we i feel like we talk a lot about about like arc pacing in comics and that book just had the perfect like year-long season approach where like i still like i don't i don't remember a lot of new 52 stuff i probably remember more than i would like to but like (laughs) the the like 12 issue marks for that series were so good. Like the first one you had the, the like new gods reveal and then you had the, the God of war twist. And then like, I, those just stick out so much in my mind, like a good TV finale. 
Did they do 40 issues of that book? It was, it was 35. Okay. Um, plus a villains month issue and, and that, a zero issue. Okay. And I, there might've been an annual. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there was though. Um, and then of course, followed up by an even more lauded run by Meredith Finch. <laughs> One of the few times in the last uh, decade plus of me reading comics that I took Wonder Woman off my pull list. Yeah. I was like, I will, I'll stomach a lot, uh, and this is not one of those things. <laughs> you didn't have Naked Donna Troy on your wish list of uh, <laughs> of uh, Wonder Woman <laughs> topics? Uh, you know, I felt like I bought that issue, and I got to that page, and it was like one of those, one of those moments where I just like kind of nodded and was like, "Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, fine. all right, <laughs> we're good. We're good here." <laughs> Um, well, Vince, do you have comic list pulled up for next week? I do. What do we have coming out from DC next week? Um, fuck, I deleted it again. <laughs> this is a running bit, too. Like, you tell me I have it pulled up, and then I panic and delete it. No, I have it. Okay. Uh, American Carnage. Mwah. Aquaman. <laughs> did you just Italian chef? I did, yes. for American Carnage, yes. Yeah. Aquaman. Uh, it's Batman. American Carnage. Is that any good? It's fucking great. It's a vertical it's book. Fun. It's fun. You have to tell him. You oh, have to tell him that it's fun. It's fun it is. It is. Fun. It is the least fun book I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> but it's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely worth reading. Yeah, I'll look into it. I, we'll talk uh, later. Ba- <laughs> Batman sixty-seven. Um, damage. Final issue. Ooh, is it? I believe it is. Oh, shit. We have to read that, don't yeah, we? we? Do. Fuck. All right. Uh, Electric Warriors by a writer who shan't be named so that maybe Matt would read it. <laughs> we shan't be mentioning uh, this, shan't we? <laughs> uh, high Level, that, issue two. That's a reprint. Isn't it? What? No, it's not. We we only have one issue of that book so far? Yes, sir. Yeah. No way. Yes, I guess yeah. so. Okay, I, 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 thought, you smoke. I thought we were on number three already. My bad. No. Uh, Justice League 20, uh, Lucifer number 6, Naomi 3, Nightwing 58. Is that a, is that a Jurgens? That might be on the Jurgens list, yeah. Okay. Pearl number 7, Teen Titans 28, and The Great Wildstorm number 21. Ooh, baby. Are you reading The Wildstorm, Matt? Um, I'm not caught up. Okay. But I have been reading it. I am... Uh, probably a trade behind or something or hey another wildstorm note in there the the collection for the brubaker dustin win authority run comes out that week oh that's right oh really yeah that's a weird little run it is yeah that's um oh it's a coup d'etat right uh no i think it's the it may be related to that. It's been such a long time since I read it. I think the subtitle is like Revolution, maybe. Maybe I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like Coup d'Etat had like either come out right before it. I think it was right before it because I think that they are like. There's definitely a scene where I think one of the authority members um, is pleasured underneath the desk in the Oval Office. <laughs> 
What a what a what a time. <laughs> oh, man, Wildstorm used to be so fucking cool. Uh, it probably like wasn't cool. It was probably cool in the way that like when you're a junior high schooler and you see like a, a high schooler that can drive to school, you're like, oh man, that kid is so cool. Um, <laughs> but we had like we had like sleeper, right? Sleeper was so good. Um, few years after that, uh, what was the book called? Uh, Incognito. Oh, somewhere yeah. around that time. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if Incognito was. Wildstorm. Maybe that would by that point he was at Image or Icon or something with Criminal. But yeah, Rubaker used to be be the man. Yeah. Um, well, Matt, where can folks find you on the internet if they wanted to uh, find out more about this bearded man of mystery? Yes, uh, you can find me at many disappointing places in the internet. Um, I have a Twitter. Uh, it is Matt is not a robot. I'm very inconsistent about my social media habits. So if you follow me, don't expect any <laughs> any rel- revolutionary insights into the universe. Just expect that I will read something stupid and then tweet it and then go on with the rest of my day. Like uh, Image sent out a press release or something where they were like talking about Emerald City Comic Con. And they called their writers like literary cosmonauts or something <laughs> like that. And I just like... I just like vomited and then tweeted, I hope I'm a literary cosmonaut someday. Um, other than that, you can find me at uh, Marveling at the Movies. It's my podcast, the Multiversity Comics Network, where I bully one of my best friends uh, into watching movies that he says he doesn't want to watch with our other friend, Alexis. Um, and you can also find me in Brian's inbox, promising him that, yes, I'm going to finish working on that article and hopefully get it out soon. <laughs> Yeah, um, Matt, I mentioned before, Matt started Multiversity, uh, it'll be 10 years ago this uh, May, and we have, uh, I told Matt I dreamed up a really dumb idea to celebrate it, but I think we're going to do it. Um, yeah, don't say what yeah it is. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great dumb idea if it happens. Um, but yeah, Matt's, a, Matt's an old friend, and uh, he's welcome back here anytime. Uh, you can follow two of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to get in touch with Vince, the easiest way to do that is just to um, tweet. Well, I guess not tweet. Just nice. Uh, <laughs> say no, 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 no. I have. I, it doesn't work with my joke. If I say that um, it's uh, you, you have to, to publish some sort of article on the internet criticizing the Packers and what they've done in Shut free agency so far. And Vince will then firebomb your house. And so that's a good way. To He's, he has a Google alert for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, make sure to make sure to do that. If you want to get his attention, just, you know, in, I, 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 I can't even keep up with this shit. So, so God, you guys are blowing my cover like every week. <laughs> I said you would do your man about the Packers before you had, before there was a Twitter, you were mad about the Packers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't, don't give me that. Uh, you're the worst. I, fuck you. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week with more DC Thinkers. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you guys soon. Yes, here I am. Rock to rock you like a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs>
that our cosmic mojo back at it again. <laughs>